So good evening, everyone. I'm hopping on here. I thought I would tackle lesson 37 on part two of the Holiness Bible study I'm doing. This is all about sins against the body. And now I'm going to say up front, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this sort of thing. Uh, not because I disagree with it, but because I know that the things that are covered in this, people have very strong feelings about. So I plan to read a lot of scripture and try to keep myself out of this Bible study so that you can hear the word of the Lord in this teaching. Because... This is good, and it really, maybe not for all of us, but there's so much that is good for us to pray on, and maybe it doesn't relate to us, but maybe it relates to someone who is near and dear to our heart, who, you know, needs this sort of information, and we are called, when we have the opportunity, to go out and to share God's Word what he says, and why it's his perfect plan with those who are still seeking. So, sins against the body. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this verse that I just read, it tells us that we are composed of body, soul, and spirit. It's God will that our whole person is purified and holy. Our whole being belongs to God. Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's 2 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. When we defile our body, we are risking God's judgment coming upon us. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. There's lots of stern warnings against immoral acts that are in the world today. God loves his people so much that he puts so many warnings into his word because he wants for everyone to come to the knowledge of God and to come to true salvation. So, starting out with adultery. Adultery is voluntary sexual interaction between a man and a woman, not his wife, or a married woman and a man, not her husband. Then there's fornication, which is any unlawful sexual intercourse. You're not married, you're living together outside of marriage, um, one night stands, just, you know, that's all fornication. The Bible tells us, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. According to this passage, and this was written to the Corinthian church, there were a lot of people who had been involved in all these different sins that we just read. But as a whole, they forsook that kind of life. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. And now Paul is telling those who are still guilty of these sins, they must turn from them, lest the judgment of God come upon them. There's more in regards to Paul's exhortation of the Corinthians in chapter 5, and it goes on in chapter 7 as well. In fact, the whole book of Corinthians is one big letter written to exhort and edify and teach and uplift and build up the church that at Corinth. Okay, so Paul also wrote to the Ephesians about these sins. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no man deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. That's Ephesians 5, 3 through 7. Paul also exhorted the church of Thessalonica, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. He wants us to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy. You should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. And that's First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 and verse 7. Paul tells the Galatians, too, sexual sins are works of the flesh. Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, those who practice such things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is very serious stuff. God is repeatedly 
making sure that we know that these things will cause us to not inherit the kingdom of God. So now, homosexuality. This is when there is a sexual desire for those of the same sex. Um, we can expand this to those who are transgender, those who feel that they are bisexual. Those things fall into this right here that we're about to read. The first account of this kind of sin is in Genesis 19. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. They're talking about Lot's house here. They called Lot, to, Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. There's a carnal knowledge that they're seeking, an intimacy. So Lot went out to them through the doorway. He shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known man. Please, let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. I'm not going to dig into the many things that we could argue or find offensive in what I just read, but suffice to say that Lot knew that these angels who were in his house, who the people of Sodom wanted to become physically intimate with, he knew that there was a danger in that, so much so that he was willing to give them his virgin daughters. I can't imagine that feeling of urgency to feel that the only acceptable thing to do was to offer my daughters Anyway, so the Old Testament law contains a warning against these sins. Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, for it is an abomination to the Lord. Paul warned about these sins and the consequences. He says, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And that's in the book of Romans. That's chapter 1, verses 24 through 28. Now I just want to say, Real quick, I'm going to interject my thoughts here as much as I don't want to. It isn't that God doesn't deeply love those people who are committing homosexual acts, who are 
engaged in adultery and fornication. God still loves them, but we have to remember that because God is holy, any sin requires God to separate himself. He cannot walk with those who are not living a holy and righteous life. Now, certainly none of us are perfect. We will all, and the Bible says, we all fall short of the glory of God. But I do believe that there are many situations in which, as this says, they're exchanging truth for a lie. Whether they cannot hear or they choose not to hear, there's a rejection of God's way, of God's purpose. He created every one of us. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. But even Genesis tells us that God created male and female. That's how he created them. And each one, marriage, male and female, there was never the design for there to be anything different. So, is sexual lust a sin? Matthew 5.28 tells us that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. This is some serious stuff here. Um, and we need victory over our flesh, over these carnal things. We need to get to the place where we have crucified these desires. And a lot of that involves not putting ourselves into situations where we can be tempted. I think this is where it's so important for us to know our strengths and our weaknesses. Satan knows those weaknesses. He knows exactly what it is that causes us to be tempted. We need to know those things too, because then we can make a point of not being in situations where those temptations will come, or at least trying to limit how frequently we are engaging with things that we know are a temptation to us. We also, we need that constant renewal in the Holy Ghost. I don't remember where it is, but the Bible says that we should be praying in the Holy Spirit. And prayer is so powerful. That time that we spend in fellowship with the Lord, hiding his word in our hearts, meditating upon his word, memorizing his word, whatever it takes to get his word so firmly rooted into us, we need to be doing those things. And even our children, our children need to know that word. They need to know when they're in situations that tempt them. They need to know that God says. And we think about when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. Every time he was tempted, he responded with the word of God. God says. We need to know the word. So, we're going to move on to the outward person. And again, I know some of these things, some people feel very strongly 
for them, and some people very feel very strongly against them. Please know, I am reading the Word of God. This is what God has said, and I think it's important for us to explore it for ourselves, so that we too know what God has expects of us, what he has for us, what he designed us to be. So in like manner that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but that which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. That's First Timothy 2, 9 through 10. Then we go on in First Peter 3, 1 through 5. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, the putting on of fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Now understand, holiness begins with our heart. It is manifested on the outside by the way that we live our lives inside. It's important for us to talk and live and act and to dress as God's people. That matters. Paul tells us that women should dress in a manner that becomes godliness or holiness. Peter connects godly living with the proper dress. These addressed women who were prone to these sorts of problems historically, but these principles still apply to men and women today. Mostly to women, as we're reading here, I think there's more of a struggle for women when it comes to holiness. There's more things for us to be challenged and tested by. I'm going to go through a list of some of these, and I pray that you will pray on this, especially if it's something that really just seems offensive to you or, or really just you feel a prick in your heart. Speak to God, because his opinion, his word, is the only thing that matters. So, we're learning about the New Testament dress standards, which, personally, I myself ascribe to today. And I can talk about that as we go along. I can talk about that more another time. The wearing of modest clothing. Modest is clothing that isn't forward. You know, we're not showing off our body. We're not wearing anything skin tight. We're not showing our nakedness, but it's quiet and humble. 
We're not dressing extravagantly. We're not seeking to wear any elaborate hairstyles. I think my most elaborate hairstyle is a messy bun. I don't know when the last time was I've sat down and really done my hair, much less braiding or plating it with gold or pearls. I can only imagine. Um, so girl, gold, pearls, jewelry. God's desire in the Old Testament, we saw again and again in Genesis and Exodus, how God wants women to wear a meek and quiet spirit. He doesn't want us covering ourselves with all sorts of jewelry. Now, I wear a watch. I sometimes wear a wedding ring when it doesn't swell up on my fingers and it's not super uncomfortable. Um, but I will say, I have never been one to wear jewelry in the first place. So I can read something like this. And for me, it's not a struggle because there's no desire there in the first place. Now, moving on to the Bible, teaching that a woman should not cut her hair, but a man should cut his hair. Now, the Bible says that every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, which is her husband. It is a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven. That means that's referring to the cutting of hair, even if it is just a little trim here and there. And I remember reading something some time ago about, and it was really cool, and I wish I could find so I could reference it more specifically here, but it spoke to how God created and designed every one of us individually. Some of us will naturally have very long and very thick hair. Some of us, our hair will only grow so far. But God designed every one of us exactly the way he wants us to be. And how we are is a form of being in his image. Anyway, I say all that to say that when we're talking about cutting hair or not cutting hair, there's different ways that we were all designed. And whether you cut your hair or not, ultimately, that's between you and the Lord. I can never cut my hair a day in my life. And if I'm full of pride and I'm not humble and meek, then it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. It all goes back to how our holiness begins with our heart. But there really is, I do believe, so much more for us when we step out into some of these areas that may be very uncomfortable or just plain unusual to a lot of people. So now, the long hair we were talking about how it's given for a covering and the woman should not shave or cut her hair. Her hair is, it, it's the angel's power on her head. It, it's a covering from God. And just, that's a whole nother thing. Again, I don't want to get into that here. Um, 
But then he says, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head, which is Jesus. Does not even nature teach you, if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As is, when we're talking about the long hair as a covering for the women, that's also 1 Corinthians 11. And then, still in the same same book, same chapter, it says, If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. What does it mean to be contentious? Well, if we're going to argue a lot, if we want to be very controversial, if we just aren't willing to look and see what the scriptures said, if we're not willing to consider a different way, but we're always going to just argue and pick at things that are put in front of us, I think this is where we can go back to the importance of having a teachable spirit. Now, not everything is going to be right, but that is where God reminds us that we need to test all things against the word of God, and we need to take things to him because the greatest teacher we will ever have in how to live a godly life is Jesus himself. And when we spend time at his feet and we are sincerely wanting to know and to go deeper, there's no limit to the things that he will reveal to you. The secret things of God. He's just waiting for us to be ready and willing to step into all that he has for us. Okay, so... Our outward appearance, it should never be according to the fashion of this world. We shouldn't dress as the opposite sex. That's written in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. And again, this is another thing that we could go into in so much more detail another time. And I would love to because I have some really neat materials that really convicted me some time ago. And I want to say I'm not one to just see something or hear something and jump into the latest fad. Um, but again, the dresses and the skirts that I wear, it's always been something that I've loved to, to, uh, to attire myself with. I've always loved the long flowing skirts and dress and dresses and so again it was something that wasn't difficult for me to accept and embrace and again if I'm doing it but I'm not in the right heart it doesn't really matter again I point you back to holiness begins in the heart we need to consider we are a part of the body of Christ. For some people, we are the only Bible that they will ever read. I don't remember who said that. I think it was C.S. Lewis. But I love it because, truth be told, I'm not good at going out and just speaking to people. I very 
uncomfortable with that sort of thing. A platform like this, where I can have notes and I know what I'm going to say, it's a little bit easier. But I really take heart in the fact that so many of the things that we do and the people that we interact with are living a very different life from us. I take heart in the fact that I'm not using words. I'm not shouting from the rooftops that this is what you must do to be saved and you need to know Jesus. But I'm, I'm striving to live a modest and humble life in front of other people, to be meek and godly, and to not be contentious, which... If you know me, that is kind of a challenge because I will say I like to play devil's advocate quite a bit. Um, and I probably shouldn't as much as I do. But I find that whether it's me talking to someone and trying to defend my perspective or whether it's someone trying to share a new perspective with me. I admit, I think it's fun to debate things, to get in there and look at every perspective and every angle so that when you walk away, you know without a doubt what you believe. That's And that's how important all of this is. I really do believe that it is so important for us to know exactly what we believe, why we live the way we do, why we do the things we do and go the places we go. And we need to be so certain of why we do these things that the devil himself can stand before us and we are able to say it is not just it is written, but we can say, I know because my Jesus has revealed this to me. I have had a revelation from God. I have had a touch from God that confirms for me that the way that I am taking, the way that I am living, it is good, and it is right, and it is pleasing to the Lord. And now at the same time, if you're not running around wearing dresses and skirts, if you're cutting your hair, this isn't meant to shame anyone, but to encourage you to search the scriptures. Search and taste and see there is so much that God has for us, and we're all in different spots. We're all in a different place in our journey, but the beauty of all of this technology and all of these different studies that are out there is that it allows us to learn and then share so we can all grow. I mean, I can't read every book that's out there, and I certainly can't listen to every sermon, but to be able to connect with others who are also seeking to live a meek and quiet life for the Lord. It's beautiful, and it's such a blessing for us to be able to share in our journey. So I pray that this gives you lots to chew on. And, oh, I wish there was a way to connect with you those who are you of you who are listening off here so I could answer any questions so we could sit and talk and reason together about these scriptures and other ones that speak to you. And if there is a way, 
I would love for you to reach out anytime and provide your thoughts and your questions. Because truly, this is a journey that we need to be in together. And we need to walk this humbly and faithfully and with the word of God being our focus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Jesus' name.